Christmas. I know you guys are working on that computer back there, but if you could hit that next slide so that we can make sure it keeps going, that would be great. Um, there we go. Just as the Grinch cannot stop Christmas from coming, neither could King Herod the Great, Thor the Christ child, from being born as the new king of the Jews in the little town called Bethlehem. While the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day, Herod the Great remained hard-hearted, and he did his best to stamp out any potential threat to his throne. Ultimately, that ended in defeat. You see, while the Grinch is a fictitious character, Herod was a historical person who played a significant um, adversarial role in the Christmas story. And uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're just going to read one verse, if you'll stand with me. Luke chapter number 1, and we're going to look at verse number 5. Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 5. And there was, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah and his wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. You say, Pastor, we looked at that last week. We did, but I want you to see that this all happened in the days of Herod. Father, we love you. I pray that you'll bless the few moments of time that we have together, Lord, as we study your word and learn more about uh, the greatest story, the greatest miracle, and the greatest moment in history. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. We love you. But most of all, we thank you for loving us, for it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of taking notes, on the back side of your bulletin, there's an outline. Number one on the outline is Herod's heritage. Herod's heritage. uh, Where did Herod come from? What do we know about King Herod? Herod is mentioned in only two places in the New Testament. We find him in Matthew chapter number two, and we're going to look at that in a few moments, and we find him in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 5. Both places are accounts of the birth of Jesus. Luke 1, 5, as we just read, gives the timing of the birth narrative, as they said, as in the days of Herod. Now, historians have filled pages upon pages of Herod's biography and accomplishments over the the barbaric political and manipulative life that he lived. In case you're wondering, you did not want Herod to be your son-in-law. Herod was not one of those people that we went out searching because literally if you look at the background of Herod and his family, it was very barbaric, it was very political. He lived a very manipulative life. So letter A, his introduction. How do we get introduced to him? And, and please, uh, as I did last week, just bear with me for a few minutes. Because I believe as a Christian and as someone uh, that studies the word of God, that we don't just throw names out. And we just don't look at the Bible and say, oh, that's great and, and that's wonderful. I think we should dig into it. I think we should dig deeper and find out who the people were that were really involved in the birth of Christ and how they tried to advert it so much to the point that, that it became barbaric and it became terrible. And as we'll learn at the end here, how that literally Herod tried his best to destroy Jesus Christ. But we know this, that God's plans never fail. God's plans never fail. This was, this was foretold by the prophets. The prophets said of the events that would happen, and they did happen just as they were promised. And even though Herod was used uh, of the enemy, and and even though Herod was considered the enemy, it was because of Herod that God's will and God's work was accomplished. Now, 
Herod was born in 73 BC before Christ to a family who had a habit of siding with strong powers of the day. Herod's grandfather and father was both named Antipater, uh, and they had served as military commanders in their homeland, which was once a tribal state located to the south of Judah. So there is a history here in his bloodline. The military pressures over the years caused Herod's ancestors to adjust to changing political currents in the ways that always found them siding with whomever was in power at that particular time. You know, in other words, Herod and his family, they looked to see who had the greatest power. No matter what they stood for, no matter what they went to, they began to side with that power. And can I tell you, that has happened generation after generation after generation. When you look at government and you look at politics and you look at everything that happens, it's whoever has the strongest power, whoever has the strongest might is the, people, is the ones that people begin to side with. And that's what uh, Herod did. It was a very, uh, a very barbaric thing, a very terrible thing that was happening. And Herod's family said, you know what? They have the power. We are going to side with them. Herod demonstrated this political trait and skill as he came on the scene when Rome was in power. Roman historians show that Herod's father and Herod were assets to the Roman military machine. Both men were rewarded for their faithfulness to Rome with positions of power in areas under Rome. This is very interesting to me because did you know that there can be no king from the Roman Empire in the, in the line of, of David? It, it just cannot happen. And so here these men were literally appointed kingmanship even though they had no right and no authority to be king. When Herod's father was killed by poisoning in 43 BC, uh, Herod began to emerge as his father's political heir and successor under the Roman umbrella of power. And so Herod's father went off the scene and Herod came to power. What kind of influence did he have in, in this scenario? His influence what, what, what did he do? What was he doing? What kind of empowerment did he have? Well, Herod had proven himself as an asset to Rome in 40 BC, and the Roman Senate named Herod the king of the Jews. And you know what? That, it was not even a possibility. It could not happen except that he was appointed that position. Can I tell you this morning that whenever people are, are, are decide that they're going to circumvent what God is doing and they're going to circumvent the will of God, problems always arise. You see, it goes back to the very beginning of time whenever the Israelites, they wanted a king. And they said, no, we don't need a king. We don't need a king. And they said, no, we have to have a king. And so what did they do? They appointed a king. And we know the history there and how that, that, that was the, the, one of the biggest mistakes that they had ever made in the Israelite history. And it was because they were not satisfied with being led by God. They wanted to be led by man. And that's exactly what happened here in Herod's uh, situation is that the people began to appoint them and say, hey, you be the king of the Jews. And it became very barbaric and terrible. Because of some of the ongoing civil war power struggles within Rome, it wasn't until 37 BC that Herod officially began his rule as king of the Jews. It was a rule that was spanned from 37 BC to 4 BC. For 33 years, Herod ruled harshly and with great impact as the king of Judea, though he never was or could be the rightful heir to the throne. I promise I'm almost past the historical part of it. Only one coming from the line of David 
who was fully Jewish could qualify for such an honor. One had to have more than granted power to be the true king of the Jews. And we know who that king is. Jesus Christ. And Herod was doing everything that he could in his power to allow that not to happen. But can I tell you that one that is appointed will never rise higher than one that is given the authority by Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings. While Herod was empowered, he garnered quite a reputation for being ruthless in his attempts to remain in complete control as the appointed king of the Jews. He was brutal and shed much blood to secure his throne from any who might appear as a threat. Listen to this. Herod even went as far as killing his favorite wife. It was interesting when I read that, that it was his favorite wife. He killed his own sons and others in order to keep a firm grip on his kingdom. That's the kind of man we're dealing with. When Herod was not killing off potential threats to his throne, he was building his kingdom and expanding his influence throughout the region. He was wealthy beyond belief and constantly taxed those under his rule. Herod had worked too hard politically and militarily to give up his position to a new king, even to one who would be born king of the Jews instead of granted a kingship. Number two, and I'm going to get into the story, Herod's problem. Herod had a problem. We saw the background of who Herod was, and uh, I know that for some of you that's not a very interesting thought, but I, I really wanted to kind of lay the foundation for you that Herod was really a man that was ruthless and really a man that should not have been given the power that he was given. And now he's on his throne and now he's serving and Herod ends up with a problem. What's his problem? Matthew chapter 2 tells us, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem and saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, the Bible says he was what? He was troubled. He was concerned. And all of Jerusalem was concerned with them because they were looking for the Messiah. And now the wise men are coming from the east, from Galilee. And, and, and they're saying, hey, we've heard the king of the Jews was born. And they're all looking around going, wait a minute. Herod is the king of the Jews. And Herod's saying, listen, I've worked way too hard to give up my throne to some king that's being born. And so Herod had a serious problem. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Herod said, let's have a meeting. Let's get together. Somebody said there's a king that's being born. I want to know who this king is. As a matter of fact, I don't even want to know where, uh, who this king is. I want to know where he's at. Somebody tell me. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art now thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So the scribes and the Pharisees and, and all those got together and said, Herod, here's the prophecy. Here's what the Bible says. The long-awaited Messiah was born in Bethlehem and it had finally come true. The one born king of the Jews was living literally right under Herod's nose and he didn't even know it. And he was getting angry about that. So Herod's problem started with a prophecy. It began with the prophecy. 
When Herod gathered the chief priests and scribes together to help him understand what the prophecy said about the birth of the coming Christ, the members of the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees who were under Herod's thumb told him of the prophecy. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Here's Herod the king and he gets the Sadducees and the Pharisees together. They were a great bunch of people, right? They're a great bunch of people. They, they, they were literally the ones that, that as we move forward about the, in the life of Christ, they were literally trying to crucify him from the very birth. And do you know why? Because they were under Herod's thumb the whole time. And so he gathers them all together and, and he says, let's talk about this. How could this happen and I not even know about it? Because I'm telling you, if Herod would have known about it, the outcome would have been totally different. And Herod said, I want you to tell me about what's happening. And they said, oh, but the prophecy of Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. They said, Herod, this is something that has to happen. It's been told by the prophet Micah. Not only do the prophets of old proclaim a coming arrival of Messiah, but also the heavens declare Jesus' arrival, his advent with a star in the sky. The wise men, they saw it. The magi from the east, they had followed it from their homelands somewhere beyond or around Babylon. So these wise men are following this star. They were, the wise men were literally, or the magi, were, were literally people that studied the stars. So can you imagine? Now, now listen, I don't want you to get mad at me this morning. But I don't know how many wise men there were. Okay, we always talk about we three kings and the, the three wise men and all that stuff. And we relate that with the, the, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. I don't know how many there were. But can you imagine as, as the magi are studying the sky one day and all of a sudden this bright star appears. And they begin to look back at their lives because they're very historical people. And they begin to look back at life and they begin to see that every time that the heavens change and the heavens declare something, means something is happening. And they look up at this star and they begin to see this star is moving. And they say, hey, we're pretty wise. No pun intended. Let's follow the star. And so that's what they did. They followed the star from the east. So Herod's problem went beyond the prophecy. Now there are people involved. There are people involved. Three groups of people and three different responses to Jesus' birth are present in the first six verses of Matthew chapter 2 that we read. You want to know what they are? Watch this. Herod was troubled. The Jewish chief priests and scribes, they were indifferent. But the Gentile wise men were ready to worship. They had prepared themselves. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with me? I think if we were honest and true, it's hard not to see the same three responses to people today. When it comes to celebrating the birth of Jesus, some are very troubled. You see it all over the place. They're troubled. This time of the year, they try to remove Christ from Christmas. They're troubled. I'm so thankful that, that for the first time in, 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 in as many years as I can remember, people are finally beginning to stand up. 
People are finally beginning to say, no, you're not going to take Christ out of Christmas. You're not going to remove him. We're going to stand strong. And if the government or anybody else tries to remove Christ from Christmas, the people are going to take control. And they're going to make sure that that the element of Christ is still available at Christmas. And let me tell you why they're troubled. They're troubled not on the outside. They're troubled on the inside because they're looking for a Savior. And they can't find him anywhere. So they're trying their best to remove the truth from the word of God and remove the truth from their life so that they feel good about themselves. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. The only way that we are going to be filled, the only way that we are going to feel good about ourselves, the only way that we are going to be complete is with Jesus Christ. He's the only way. Listen, we are all born with a void in our lives. We're all born with, 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 with this great need. And we're constantly trying to find a way to fill it. We're constantly trying to find a way to subdue what's inside of us. And, and, and realize that there is only one person that can fill that void. There is nothing else other than Jesus Christ. And if people would begin to turn their hearts and to turn their lives, they would stop being troubled. What does the Bible say? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's what Jesus said. There are others that are just indifferent. They could care less. Oh, that doesn't affect me, so I'm not going to worry about it. And then there are others who are ready to worship the Savior. Listen, I don't know about you. But I want Jesus Christ to be the center. I want Jesus Christ to be the center of everything that happens in my life. Now, I believe that within everything that happens in the word of God, it happens for a reason. And I believe with all my heart that if this would have just been an easy thing, if, it just, if there would have been no opposition, if there would have been no problems, some people would say, well, it's just too easy. Can I tell you that we need to take the story of Christmas and apply it to our own lives. There will always be opposition. There will always be people that are trying to ruin us. There will always be people that are out to get us. There will always be people trying to discourage us. There will always be people trying to defeat us. But what we have to do is we have to take our eyes off of the circumstances and off the people. And just as we're going to see in a few moments, let God pave the way. Because he's the one that's in control. People are ready to worship. These wise men were from the east, were seeking the newborn king. That's why they were on the journey that led them to Jerusalem. They likely were asking everyone that came in contact with, with the Christ child. Can you imagine, as these wise men are headed, and uh, they're following the star, and they pass some shepherds, and they say, hey, hey, have you heard? What, 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 what heard what? Have you heard about the Christ child? The Christ child? And can you imagine the people that they influenced as they were headed toward Jesus? As they got close to Herod's territory, Herod heard the rumors that they were floating, uh, floating around about these men and the influence who had come from the east. Herod was a smart guy. Herod was an intelligent person. And he knew that trouble was coming. If, if these wise men were coming from the east, there was a reason that they were coming. And Herod was troubled. And then Herod had a plan, and I'll be done. Herod had a plan. This is where it all comes together. And I don't know if you've ever studied this, or all you've done is just read the passage of Scripture. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I believe with all my heart, just as the enemy today 
was trying to destroy Christianity and trying to blind the people's eyes, he was using Herod the same way. He was try- the enemy was trying his best from the very beginning of the birth of Jesus Christ to stop it. Do you know why? Because the enemy, listen to me, the enemy knows his final destination. The enemy knows the word of God and he knows his final destination. And so Herod began a plan. Herod put a plan into place and said, there is no way. I've worked way too hard for some little child to be born and take my place. And and they call him the king of the Jews. Herod was strategically smooth and politically motivated when he needed to gather information that could lead to the squashing of a threat to his throne. He would summon and listen to these wise men and see what he could find out from them while they were guests in his palace. So we're going to talk about Herod's meeting. We find that in the book of Matthew. Herod's meeting, uh, uh, excuse me, verse number 7. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. There's a very important word here. He called the wise men privately. Do you see that? He did not want everyone to know what was going on. So he called a meeting of these wise men privately. And he inquired of them diligently. He wanted to know about this star. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, Herod said, that I may come and worship him also. Now, Can I remind you of something? These were wise men. They had heard the name Herod before. Herod had possibly even impacted their family's lives. So here the wise men come in and and he said, and then Herod says to them, hey, listen, you go find him. And when you find him, send word. Because I want to go and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, the Bible says they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You ready for this? And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Another way. So here the wise men, they stop along their journey to meet Herod. Herod tells them, go find the child. So they continue to follow the star. And eventually it arrives over the place where Jesus is. And the Bible says that they began to rejoice and were exceedingly glad. And they went in. And I can only imagine. I'm I'm just, uh, please, I'm not reading into scripture. And please don't take anything away from this. But this is the only thing that I can attribute this to. It's almost like heaven. Are Are you with me? The wise men entered into the presence of Jesus. And what did they do? They fell down before him. And they worshipped him. 
And they couldn't stop themselves so much that they begin to present gifts at his feet as we are going to do in heaven as we lay back our crowns at Jesus' feet. I almost think they saw heaven. I don't know. I mean, I just, I can't imagine literally walking into the presence of Jesus. Now you understand, Jesus was not, um, uh, Jesus was a little bit older at this point. Many people attribute the wise men visiting uh, the manger scene. The wise men did not go to the manger scene. The wise men, according to Matthew chapter number 2, went to their house. Which means that he was a little bit older. But the wise men went in. And they worshipped. And they brought gifts. Herod had a message. That he wanted to make sure got out to these wise men. Once Herod gathered all the information he could from the Magi, he sent them on their way with instructions to find Jesus and then send word back so, so that he could work, join in the worship. His plan was for the Magi to lead him to the home of his young threat to his throne. The Magi heard the commands of Herod and were off with great excitement because they are now less than a day's journey to their final destiny. And they did rejoice when they came into the presence of the king of the Jews. Verse 11 states that they went into the house where they saw Jesus and Mary, which is what I just tried to help you understand, that some time had passed since Jesus was born in the manger. Jesus' family was now living in a house in Bethlehem. And although the Magi were not present the night Jesus was born, they were standing in his presence now. Now it's interesting, because we find Jesus in Bethlehem, in his home. But the prophecy tells us that he was Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus of Bethlehem. Why was he now, in the word of God, Jesus of Nazareth? You know who the cause of that was? Herod. That was Herod's fault. You know why? Because after the wise men were overwhelmed with emotion, they fell on their faces and worshipped Jesus with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the sovereignty of God again prepared the next steps of the journey. You see, they were not to return to Herod. Instead, they were to go a different route home. If they went back to Herod and reported where Jesus was, then this would be a terrible outcome. But can I tell you something this morning, ladies and gentlemen? God always has a plan. You say, look at my circumstances, certainly. Look at Jesus' circumstances as he's being born in a manger of the lowliest of places. And King Herod is out to kill him. And now he's got people that he can trust that will report back to him. And what did God do? God talked to these stargazers in a dream. The Magi in a dream. Don't go back to Herod. As a matter of fact, find another way home. When it became clear that Herod would not hear from the wise men, he became irate. However, this didn't happen until after the sovereign preparation and, and provision by God to protect his only begotten son. Are you ready for this? this? This just helps it all unfold for you. Ready? How did Jesus become preserved? How did the sovereignty of God step in in Jesus' life just as it will in ours? Matthew chapter number 2. And when they were departed... Speaking of the wise men, behold, there it is again, the angel of the Lord 
Do you remember the angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias last week? Do you remember the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary? Do you remember the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph? So when the angel of the Lord showed up to both of them, they knew who he was. And they're thinking to themselves, hey, you've helped us get this far. You know what the angel of the Lord said unto them? Appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, and what? Flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. We find that in the book of Jeremiah. Where Jeremiah tells us that Jesus will be called out of Egypt, not out of Bethlehem. Lastly, Herod's mayhem. What did Herod do? Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth or angry, and sent forth and did what? He slew. He killed all the children that were in Bethlehem. And in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. He found out about what time Jesus was born, and the year that Jesus was born, and he did the math. And he literally killed in order to destroy Jesus Christ. Listen to me this morning, ladies and gentlemen, it's very important. When God speaks to you, you have to listen. Not only do you have to listen, you have to obey. Because he may be leading you out of danger and into life. Herod's anger greatly kindled when he learned of the wise men's failure to report and made a gruesome demand that affected so many people's lives. And yet did not accomplish his purpose. Herod's days were numbered though. All tyrants have a reign that come to an end. Herod soon died after Jesus was safe in Egypt. I, I, I read this. And it's very interesting. In this classic account of history called Antiquities. The historian Josephus. And you might have heard that name before. Writes of how Herod died. This is what he said. Herod died of this. Ulcerated entrails. Putrefied and maggot filled organs. Constant convulsions, foul breath, and neither physicians nor warm baths led to recovery. He had his moment. God took over Herod's body. Listen to me. We may not always understand why things happen the way that they do. But God always has a reason. And the Bible never says, vengeance is mine, saith Leap. It says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Herod, the appointed king of the Jews, was dead and left a horrible heritage. Jesus, the one born of the kings, would have a different, a very different legacy. So he's in Egypt, Pastor. He was born in Bethlehem. He's now had to flee to Egypt. How did Jesus become 
of Nazareth. Matthew chapter number two. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph again in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. Verse number 21. He arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the rooms, or excuse me, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go in. In other words, uh, uh, Joseph arrived and saw who was the king. Notwithstanding, you ready? Being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Why? That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a plan. God always has a plan. King Herod eventually lost all that he thought he had control. King Jesus was, is, and always be in control of all. And Jesus will come again one day. I don't know about you. But I'm looking forward to that second coming of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, that was just like a big history lesson. It was. But my prayer is this, that now as you read the word of God and you begin to look and study about the events surrounding the very birth of Jesus Christ, you will begin to realize and apply to your own life a couple of things, and I'm done. You ready? First of all, that God always has a plan and his timing is impeccable. Number two, when God speaks, we should listen. And after we listen, we should obey. You say, Pastor, that sounds like what I tell my children. Yeah. And you shall be called the sons or the children of God. Listen, if God has been working on you and telling you to do something in your life, And you look at your surroundings and say, how can I? How can I? How can I do that? God doesn't understand. Let me tell you something. If you could roll and scroll back the eternities and be able to see the future, you'd be able to see that God has an amazing plan. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you for listening so well this morning.